It will never lose its power. I hope that you believe that. I uh, love that song. Thank you. We've sung songs about the blood of Jesus because we're entering into the time that explains why Jesus was born. On Christmas, he was born for the sacrifice upon the cross, born for Easter, as we know it, or Resurrection Sunday. And so uh, we're aiming there, we're heading there, and uh, along the way we find that there are various times that that, uh, Christ, in his life, had what I would call hinge moments. And I brought a hinge here someplace. I thought somebody cleaned up. So uh, uh, hinge moments. Because, and why, what I mean by hinge moment is a hinge can swing two different ways. Now, it can, it, it can swing up and down or it can swing uh, side to side. A hinge moment is when something takes place in your life uh, there, you, have, you decide which way the hinge is going to go, towards God or away from God, really. Uh, and there might be some here that have never swung towards God at all, ever. But in the course of a believer's life, that hinge, there are hinge moments. Uh, I think when, uh, when I was five years old in Minneapolis, we'd moved in from South Dakota on the ranch, and we moved in to, uh, to Minneapolis, Dad was going to Bible college to become a preacher instead of a teacher. He was a teacher in South Dakota. And uh, during, when I was five years old, I realized that I was a sinner and I needed a Savior. Now, uh, the hinge moment is I could turn away from God and, uh, and say, I don't need a Savior. I'm five years old, you know, how, how bad can a kid be? Well, pretty bad. I, I, it was bad enough to know that I needed a Savior. And so I swung toward Jesus Christ. And I asked him to forgive me and save me. I remember kneeling at the bunk bed and asking uh, the Lord to forgive me and save me. And, and it changed my life. It swung me to eternity because it was fixed. My eternity, my eternal destiny was fixed that day when I placed my faith in Jesus Christ. But there were other hinge moments in my life that made a difference in where I am today. A hinge moment, uh, uh, Castle Rock Bible Camp out in Montana on the Gallatin River right out of Bozeman. Uh, I remember the night that during the, the, the meetings we had, the last night, we sat around a big campfire outside the log chapel. There were about 60 of us kids, and we were standing there. I remember uh, picking up a pine cone, walking to the bonfire, throwing this pine cone into the bonfire, and then sharing with the rest of the kids that that week I had uh, decided that I was going to serve the Lord one way or another, whether he wanted me to be a missionary or a pastor or a, a school teacher or even if the Lord wanted me to be just to be a layman in some business, I was going to serve him wherever I went. And so I, my hinge swung toward the Lord. I could have walked out of there saying, I don't want anything to do with it. See, my dad was a pastor, and a lot of, pre, uh, a lot of we called them PKs, we were called PKs, a lot of PKs swung this way. And I don't know all the reasons, I know some of the reasons why a person that grows up, grows up in a Christian home and they can swing away from God, and a lot do. But I know that that night, I said, I'm going to swing towards God, I'm going to serve him. 
in one way or another. And then in order to serve him one way or another, I went to Pillsbury Baptist Bible College. That was a hinge going there. And then on to Central Theological Seminary. And that was a hinge, uh, swinging to God, swinging toward God. Um, and then uh, while there, start, we helped start a church in Rockford, Minnesota. And then we took a position uh, at uh, Bryan Avenue Baptist in South Minneapolis. And 15 years later, the, the decision to come up here to First Baptist in 1990, that hinge swung here. Uh, we went from our first pastorate to hopefully, please God, our last pastorate up here. And so uh, these, these are hinge moments. But we have a number of those through our lives where we determine whether we are going to swing to God or away from God. We're going to swing and embrace God and, or else we're going, to, we're going to swing from uh, love God or hate God. Or, uh, thank you, Lord, or hate you, Lord. That happens, even after we're believers. That can happen. Things come into our lives that, uh, and you've probably seen it too, maybe in your own family, that, that uh, harden people's, uh, they were vibrant Christians, and then, you know, even pastors, and then they just, they, they turn away from God because of a hinge point. Something they, they didn't understand. They didn't see God working in this. They, they struggled with this. The death of a loved one or uh, the sickness that they get, uh, whatever it might be, but lots of hinges that we face. In, in the last week of Christ's life, he uh, had a lot of hinge moments. One of those hinge moments was the hinge called Gethsemane. And I'd like you to turn to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. Decisions that will determine the direction of Jesus. A decision that that would determine our eternal destiny was made by Jesus Christ at his Gethsemane hinge. It determined the course of all mankind there in Gethsemane. It, continue, it, it, uh, it determined uh, whether one would be saved or could be saved or whether it was just lost, whether there could be a heaven or there could be a hell. So I want to look at some of these hinges that took place in Gethsemane this morning, I want us to examine Gethsemane because you're going to have Gethsemane hinges in your life. Some might, you already have had a number of them. But I'm, my, my prayer is that we might swing toward Christ this morning. Gethsemane is known as the place of prayer. The, we sing songs about I come to the garden alone. And, it, and it's, the, the dew is still on the rose. And it's talking about, uh, it's, it's comparing our lives going into prayer as Jesus Christ came to the garden there at Gethsemane, a place of prayer. This morning in our small group, we studied a progressive prayer and proactive prayer. And progressive prayer is we, we pray for things that happen to us. 
uh, something bad happens to us, we go to prayer. Uh, but progressive, uh, uh, proactive prayer is praying for things we see coming down the line. Uh, praying for our day. We get up in the morning, we pray for our day, we, we uh, prepare for those things that we're going to face. And so uh, all of us will, should have times of prayer. Now, maybe you have never prayed to start with. I mean, I, in a group this size, there might be somebody that you have never prayed and asked the Lord to forgive you and save you. I can guarantee you that God hears every uh, prayer, prayer from a repentant sinner. Now, there are lots of prayers that are offered that God doesn't hear. Uh, Jesus told the story of the Pharisee, and the Pharisee stood out there on the corner so everybody could see him, and he begins to pray. And he prays, thank you, Lord, that I am not like these other people who, uh, whether they're murderers or transgressors or, you know, adulterers, he mentioned that in there, and he mentioned a whole bunch of things, and I'm so thankful that I give tithe uh, to, the, to the temple and I fast. I'm thankful that I am a good guy. And there was another guy that Jesus tells, uh, standing uh, a ways off, and he's standing there, and he will not even lift his head up to heaven, but he just looks at the ground, and he says, I am a sinner. Please save me. And one of them, Jesus said, one of these men went away justified, or say, forgiven. One of these men went away forgiven. You know which one it was? Well, yeah, it was the one that was a repentant. You know, I don't deserve it. None of us do. And so my desire this morning is that everyone here may have been like that uh, publican or that sinner and pray and ask God to save you. That will be the first hinge that, that everybody needs that's going to count for eternity. In Isaiah 26.3, and I marked that just so I could turn there, uh, it says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. That's where we turn when we pray. It is to somebody that can bring us peace in our times of distress. Jesus is in a time of distress here in his Gethsemane. And so, um, when we get in under stress, where do we turn? Uh, the ladies' Sunday school class, in the back part of the bulletin, it shows that the, the ladies' small group on Sunday mornings is going to be uh, doing a study, Be Anxious for Nothing. It's, it's going to be a good study. And, uh, and I've even gone through a part of that book, and, and it's going to be good. So, ladies, you might consider that if you uh, have a tendency towards being uh, anxious or worried or concerned about many things. Uh, Gethsemane is also a place of rest and exhaustion. Now, rest on the part of the disciples, but exhaustion on the part of Christ. Well, the disciples came in exhausted also. That's why they couldn't keep awake. But uh, we all, ought to, ha all ha ought to have a prayer closet, whether it's in your car when you're heading to work or if it's someplace uh, uh, in a shed or a garage or your bedroom or a closet someplace. That's why I like that uh, War Room movie so much. And if I get some of those back, I'm going to start passing them out again. I think there's 
about uh, 30 of them in our church family here. And so if you have watched it two or three times and bring it back, I'm going to pass it to somebody who hasn't watched it. War room. To have, the war room was a prayer closet. <laughs> That's what we need. Uh, Gethsemane was a prayer closet for Jesus. He's going to spend some time with his father here. It's a place of rest for the overwhelmed. You feel overwhelmed? Oh, maybe not today, but maybe tomorrow. Or maybe last week. Where do you turn? You, you've got the option to, to swing. Where are you going to turn? When things begin to overwhelm you, the bills aren't getting paid, the, you lose your job, you, you, you find out that the doctor calls and, and says we need to set up another appointment, and you can become overwhelmed. That's what a Gethsemane point is, hinge is. Here, uh, this morning we heard how it's, it's called smash it, or smash, L-L-T. And it's a place where this lady started a business, and she's got four rooms, and they're all lined with uh, plywood. And they put in those rooms washing machines and microwave ovens and, and all kinds of things, and they give you, you pay a big amount, you go in there with a sledgehammer and you can smash and smash and smash until you get it all out of your system. Uh, do you think it gets it all out of your system? No, no. You get, you get tired, I'm sure. But uh, uh, this, uh, the God, Garden of Gethsemane is a place where you turn it over to God, then go to sleep. Let him stay up. He's going to stay up anyway. Uh, he's not going to sleep. So you give it to him and then... Go to sleep, a place for the overwhelmed uh, to get uh, a clear vision. You swing towards God, a choice that you will have to make. It was a place of fellowship. He took his disciples with him. Now, he didn't have much fellowship with the disciples because they fell asleep. But he went and he had fellowship with his father as they slept. Uh, but we need each other. Jesus took the disciples and he took the closest three, Peter, James, and John, and he, he got in a small group with them. And yes, they fell asleep. But Jesus said at the end, in fact, okay, Mark chapter 14, uh, I'm sorry that I didn't even read this portion. Verse 32, beginning with verse 32. And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he saith to his disciples, Sit ye here while I shall pray. And then he takes with him Peter, James, and John. They were, they were the closest friends that he had. Uh, let me say that we need some close Christian friends. Uh, men especially. Now women, they tend to have more friends. Women tend to have friends. Uh, uh, men tend not to have friends apart from their spouses or their wives. But men, we need godly friends that we can take with us into our Gethsemane or share with them the struggles or the stresses that we're going through. Somebody to hold us uh, accountable that loves us. So when we're battling with sin and we don't want to take with us, uh, as the old joke goes, uh, well, my, uh, my sin is... Uh, I gossip a lot. Don't take him in with you into that uh, prayer in your Gethsemane prayer closet. 
You don't need him. You need somebody that will say, okay, what can we do to help you get through this or overcome this addiction or deal with this sin? How can we help take care of this? So as a place of fellowship here, uh, let's go on. Uh, so uh, he's, he's praying there. Oh, verse 33, took with him Peter, James, and John and began to be sore amazed and be heavy a very heavy. I want you to notice the condition of uh, the pressure that Jesus was under. Uh, he says, uh, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And he cometh and findeth them sleeping, and saith unto Peter, Simon, uh, Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst not thou watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed and spake the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Neither wist they what to answer him. And so he woke them up. They didn't know what to say. He cometh the third time and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise up, let us go. Lo, he that betrayeth me is at hand. And immediately while he yet spake, cometh Judas, one of the twelve, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves and the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And then we know what happened. But his hinge of Gethsemane is determining whether, whether he must completely yield to his father at this time. A hinge that every one of us needs to determine. Are we going to yield ourselves to Jesus Christ or God the Father? It was a place of fellowship. It was a place of arrest. The door of his future would swing on whether he ran or whether he kissed or allowed Judas to kiss him. That hinge there in the garden. Uh, don't pull away. Uh, sometimes when these Gethsemane moments come to our lives, we pull away. Men especially, we pull away. We think we can handle it ourselves. But it became a place of his arrest, a place where he places himself into the hands of his father and says, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Well, why did he choose the garden as his place of arrest? He chose it. He chose it, first of all, to make it easy for Judas to betray him. Because Judas knew that this is where Jesus would come uh, after the Lord's table. He chose the garden because it would make it easy for the soldiers to arrest him. Away from the mobs of people. In the middle of the night, people were asleep. But remember earlier, they were laying down their coats and saying, Hosanna, uh, the son of David, king of Israel. And so there could have been an insurrection. The mobs could have fought the soldiers. His disciples could have been injured at that time. But I think, primarily chose the garden to prove to his disciples that he was making the decision. He was going there. The soldiers couldn't kill him. The 
Pilate couldn't kill him. He was going to lay down his life uh, for us, voluntarily, according to the Father's will. And so he gave up his life for us. This Gethsemane was a place of contrast with the Garden of Eden, really, when you think about it. A human history began in a garden, Garden of Eden. In the first garden, Adam chose to disobey God's plan for him. So death passed upon all men, 1 Corinthians 15. In uh, Gethsemane, the second Adam, Jesus, chose to obey his father's plan for him. So in Christ shall all be made alive, in 1 Corinthians 15. One garden brought death, one garden brought life when Jesus willingly went to the cross. See, our, our garden, Gethsemane hinge, swings either life or death. And you choose. You make that choice. Gethsemane was a place of pressure. And this is what I, where I believe a lot of Christians uh, get snagged here. A place of pressure. In fact, Gethsemane means the place of the press because it is the olive press and we if you've been over there you remember the big uh, round trough and and uh, those were some of the presses and they'd roll a stone over the olives and other press and then they would take it from there put it in these presses where they'd crank the wheels and it'd come down great pressure uh, on there but pressure was good because pressure turned the olives into something that was, had value. Because, of course, you could, you could eat an olive, I suppose, but that wasn't where the real value was back then. Uh, olive oil meant life to them. It was used in preparing food. It was used in dressing food. It was used in purchasing food. It was a means of light. It was used as fuel in their lamps. It was a means of health. It was one of the essential oils of the day. They would rub the oil on, on injuries and it became a balm or a salve. Um, the Good Samaritan used it on the one that was injured uh, traveling from Jericho there. And so uh, oil was a means of giving purpose to life. In the Old Testament, they would take the oil and they would pour it over the heads of the King Saul. Samuel did that. And then he anointed King David. It gave him purpose. This is the reason the high priest was anointed with oil. And it gave a person a reason to live. This is your responsibility. And so pressure was good and is a good thing. Although we, don't, we, we think that God, when we get saved, God should remove all pressures. None of our loved ones should die. We should never have a financial problem. We should never be pressured in our jobs or whatever it is we might do. We, we don't realize that pressure is good. One of the reasons it's good is because it, makes, it makes us, brings us to a decision point. Are we going to swing to God, or are we going to swing away from God? Uh, we swing away from God, the way of the transgressor is hard. And, it, and it, it, things will not get easier. We might think it is easier at, at the time, but every 
easy path gets harder. And if we choose the narrow way, it gets easier because we're following Christ. Not that he removes all the stress. Think of all of those portions, uh, very sorrowful, very heavy. Christ is going through great pressure during this time. Uh, some hinges are exciting and enjoyable. I think the hinge of marriage and the hinge of having a, starting a family and, and the hinge of a new job, and these are exciting, but a lot of hinges come at pressure points in our lives, just like here for Christ. God doesn't make all these stresses go away. Um, there will be illnesses that we will face. Will we turn to God or will we turn to other gods? And the other gods that I, I was thinking about this, or Christians, uh, they turn back maybe to a, an illicit affair during times of stress. Instead of turning to God, they turn to somebody that is going to, they think, going to meet their need. And they will find out that it is a false God and it won't meet their need or an addiction that they go back to or, or uh, to a bar or to money or to TV or something rather than to turn to God. Uh, a place of Gethsemane was a place of temptation. Should I drink this cup that the Lord's prepared for me? That my Father has prepared for me? That's what Jesus was asking. You have prepared this cup for me. Is there any way that I can go without drinking this? What was he facing? Death, becoming sin for us, becoming a curse for mankind because cursed is every man who hangeth on a tree or being forsaken by his father. He was facing that. He knew he would have to be forsaken. I'm sure that that weighed heavy upon him. Now, a believer can never be separated from the father because we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We are part of, we have become his son, and uh, so we cannot. But the stresses and exhaustion and, and all of these things can, can make us give up in our Christian walk for him. And so uh, often it keeps us from what we need the most, and that's we, we turn the wrong direction. We swing towards something else, and we don't swing to our daily devotions. We don't swing to our church family. We don't swing to God's heart. and We don't run into his arms as we ought. Gethsemane was a, a place of loneliness and desertion. And a lot of believers find themselves lonely. And so they withdraw. Gethsemane was a place of waiting. After he had finished praying, talking, getting it settled with God, his father. He said, okay, go ahead and sleep. We'll just wait for the soldiers, for Judas, to show up. Gethsemane was a place of misunderstanding. There will be times when your friends won't understand why you turn to God. What has he ever done for you? Look at what you're facing now. It was a place of misunderstanding. But it was a place of complete surrender. And that's where I want us all to be. We walk out of here saying, Lord, I surrender it all to you. I just I surrender it to you. Well, you. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Before the cross and the resurrection, there was a garden. In that garden waited a Gethsemane hinge for Jesus that changed the course of your life. It did. Jesus' decision changed the course of your life. It led Jesus to the cross. We... Uh, heard a story this morning as 
Pastor Barker was his name, was during World War II, and I used this a while back, but during World War II, he was over on the mainland holding special services in churches there. And his family was all with him. And his wife's sister and family, they were there too. It was during World War II, and so the, uh, the uh, Europe was in turmoil, and it got so dangerous for them that uh, they had to flee, or they were going to flee from France or Portugal there and to uh, go back to England, to their home. And so he still had some more meetings to preach. But he got his family together, and, and there were 13 in all, his wife and her uh, kids and then her sister and her kids, got them all on a ship and uh, sent them to England while he remained there to preach there in Portugal. And he got a, a telegraph, a telegram, before the church service, before he began to preach. He read it. He got up to the pulpit to preach, and he said, uh, I just got a, a telegram. It said that my wife and my kids reached home safely. And everybody cheered and clapped. And he got up and he preached this message, and his message. And after he was done, they found out what he meant by that. That uh, a submarine, German submarine, had uh, torpedoed the boat they were on, and everybody, no survivors, that's what it said on the telegram, no survivors. What this preacher meant by getting home was different than what the people thought. I, I want to tell you that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you place your faith in him. No matter what happens to you here in your Gethsemane hinges, you're going to wind up safely home. Just maybe not the way your friends see safely home. And that's why I say turn to God. You know, my, my heart goes out to Chantel. Here's an opportunity. You can turn one way or another. You can, you can harden your heart. Or you can turn and just let God wrap you in his arms. Maybe just hold you for a while. Jesus had to do that in Gethsemane, in, in his Gethsemane. Just let him wrap you, wrap you up and, and hug you. Don't turn away from him. Uh, you know how that goes. It, it doesn't go good when your kid, you want to just hug your kid and they turn their back and, and they just want to get away from you. No, God just wants to hold you through our times, our Gethsemane moments. And we're going to have a lot of them before we finally get safely home. You choose which way the hinge is going to swing. Let's pray. Father, we're going to face many things. In fact, we're going to face harder things in the future because things are going to get more difficult. The older we get, physical things are going to get us. There will be lots of other things, discouragements and worries and cares and, and all kinds of things. And Lord, I'm asking that we might be drawn into your arms, that we'll turn your way instead of turning away to other gods. So, Lord, I pray for those especially that are facing stress right now, discouragements right now. I'm asking that you might wrap your arms around them, 
might we as a church family help those that are going through tough times as well. Help them conquer their sin, not just gossiping about it. Help them get victory where they've only seen defeat in the past. Lord, might we do what you want us to do, what you would do if you were here. Help us to be your flesh.